Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right. Welcome to the Run.Down. I'm Jeff, a.k.a. Frank Barrett, 11.9, and I'm here with Tyrese, a.k.a. London's Theory. Uh, Knicks lose, and it's also unfortunately looking like the Nets are going to beat the Cavs. So, rough night for our Knicks. We lose the Magic 111-106 in Orlando. Um, I'm not going to give my thoughts right away. I will say that if you're in here looking for, you know, at least both of us to just completely bash the Knicks, I think I'm probably going to be more optimistic than the average person. I tend to fall that way in general. And, um, yeah, we'll get into it more, but I'm going to send it over to Tyrese. Tyrese, what were your thought overall thoughts on the game? That's kind of it. Um, it really, um, just really lackluster game. Like they just didn't play hard into the second quarter. And then like they showed life in the third quarter and that third quarter was really, really good. They were down 19 at one point and then they were able to tie it. And then the fourth quarter happened and they kind of just like shoot themselves in the foot and that kind of spelled out the game. Um, we will get to why they shot themselves in the foot in a little bit, but, like, I think you know my answer at this point if you've watched this long enough. Um, yep. Yeah, just really rough game from Julius, very rough game from RJ. I think quickly played really well, but um, just could not sustain it late. And I think Grimes was the best player on either team tonight um just he was amazing yes he was great point of attack defense he was great as a facilitator he was just he was doing a lot of the dirty work and he was rewarded tonight 38 minutes which is by far the most minutes he's played since josh hart was acquired you could tell that he did everything for this team tonight and the fact that they were able able to make it a game kind of shows like how much he was beneficial. Like they were plus 17 in his minutes. That should tell you like how good he was. Um, but yeah, like you wish there was a bit more fight um, earlier and instead of having to play catch up, um, there are questions about the defense. I think my main concern with the defense is I thought it was more of like a, a Mitch's out thing and you know, the defense would rebound. But now the defense, like it did earlier in the season, where like guys are late closing out the shooters, they're closing out lazily. You're able to collapse the paint really easily and, get, and just spray it out to open shooters, and there's no recovery. And truthfully, I just I thought the numbers of the defense would noise, but like they're going to be probably the 20th ranked defense after this game, which is not good. And if they're the 20th ranked defense, that kind of speaks to how poor they played as a team. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, uh, I mean, we're, I, I think we're going to talk about RJ a lot tonight, so I'll leave that too. Uh, I absolutely hated what Julius did before halftime. Yes. That shit is, you, you know, a lot of people talk about what Brunson's done for this team. And I don't think it's any of Quickly's fault that Julius is the way he is with Brunson and the way he is without Brunson. I 
I don't think that Brunson's putting like magic spin on the ball, but at a certain point, Julius just isn't cut out to be the, the guy on a team and he needs somebody he truly respects. And here's the thing. We all love Emmanuel quickly. You could see what Julius Randall thought of Emmanuel quickly as they were walking off the court together. He, that's not someone who is looking at an equal. That's someone looking at a little brother. And I truly believe that Jalen Brunson is the only player on the team that he views as an equal. And so. And in some aspects, rightfully so. Sure. Sure. Uh, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure I a hundred percent agree with it, but I do get what you're saying. Um, I, so I I think we're going to talk about that a lot. I hated it. I thought Julius at the end of the third quarter and for some of the fourth quarter was actually magnificent. Um, I actually thought that little stretch, like the fight the Knicks showed was inspired by Julius. Um, I feel like people are mostly going to expect positive Julius stuff to come from you, but I just wanted to make sure that was thrown out there. Like he wasn't just dog shit from start to finish. There were some good Julius moments, but the thing is, is that he's supposed to step up when Jalen's out and he hasn't. And not only is he shooting worse, um, he matches it with a very, an attitude that ranges from lethargic to just downright careless. His defense in the first half was just awful. He just doesn't pay attention um, a lot of the time. And he was turning it into a personal battle with Paolo Boncaro. Dude's a a rookie. What are you doing? Like, I don't know. I get he was frustrated. And I, and honestly, I understood his frustration because Boncaro is like power forward Trey Young in his trickery. Like he gets a very friendly whistle with all of his like very Siakam like, like he likes to contort his body, gets a lot of just a lot, a lot of light whistles. And then Julius for the second straight game is getting crushed but he just has to be able to play through it. He does. Um, so I don't know. I, I, this isn't meant as a defense of Julius, um, but and yeah, I mean, to try and spin it back positive, Grimes is just so good. And look, I mean, it's, you don't want to like make it seem like you're saying that the Knicks are better. Obviously they're not better, but like, it's not surprising that Grimes and RJ and these guys, like, it's not, it's just a more egalitarian system when certain people are on the court um, and you know, whether it was somebody who is in Grimes's ear or Grimes getting more minutes with quickly Grimes has been more aggressive these last two games and looking for his own shots. And that's huge for the Knicks come to playoffs huge because I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Knicks ceiling in the postseason assumes Brunson and Randall play well. If they don't play well, there's no run happening. So once you get past that, once you get past like, okay, Brunson and Randall have played well, their ceiling can only raise if guys like Grimes and RJ find it. RJ was, we'll talk about that later, but Grimes for two games now has not only just been making shots, but has been aggressive in a way we haven't seen in months. Very, very encouraging. Um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I, guess, I guess we can start the RJ stuff. Um, RJ was, God, what was he? He was... Ass. He was three of 12 from the field. He had five turnovers. I mean, he doesn't have the right to turn the ball over five times. That's like his turnovers are actually starting to become worrying. Like, I mean, 
he just he's not creating enough to turn it over. That one turnover where he spun at the top of the key, lost it, and then did the Cam Newton. I'm gonna pretend like I'm gonna dive on the ball, but I'm not gonna dive on the ball. That was awful. Um, I'll, I'll send it over to Tyrese. I'll send it over to you, Tyrese. What did what did you, what did you think of RJ? I just fucking thought he sucked, but it's like I'm not surprised he sucked because this is par for the course with RJ. He has a couple of good games, and you're like, he's turning the corner. Like that game yesterday, we lost, but like he did, he passed out of drives really well. He played very solid defense, in my opinion, aside from playing on Hero, but like he played really solid defense. Otherwise, he like was up and getting physical and getting vertical, and you're like, you see these little flashes, and you're like, just do this at least eighty percent of this every game, and there's a chance that like there's a player in there that we could fit into a team. And then now he comes out and he just does this. And you're like, well, great. You're like, you're, you're missing bunnies and you're, you can't hit shit from three. You are not that good of a passer. You're weak on the offensive boards. And like, I'm not surprised because this is what RJ has been his entire career. Just when you think he's turning the corner, he just shuts his brain off and Truth be told, you can talk about development and you can talk about, oh, well, Randall had a bad game too, but it's like, I think, as Schwinn said a couple nights ago, those guys have built up more credit. Those guys have just done more for this team winning to where, like, bad games, you can excuse them more frivolously. And R.J. Barrett has not contributed to winning as well He's as much as he should have given his contract, given his draft status, given his importance on this team. He is legitimately the worst high usage player in the league um you could argue russell westbrook but i feel like russell westbrook has been marginalized this season he was coming off the bench for the lakers he like plays with the but like the clippers are essentially like giving him spot starter minutes and then like having him with the bench unit it's a weird dichotomy we'll see what happens with the paul george thing but like i don't think there's an argument to be made that he hasn't been the worst high usage player in the league this season which is bad because last season he was bottom five. So it's like you get the point guard, you fix the starting lineup, Julius is back, like Grimes is able to take up his um, assignment on the perimeter, in theory making his job easier. Brunson is able to carry the scoring loads. All he really needs to do is get like high quality shots and convert on those, and he can't do it. So it's a question of like if he can't do third option stuff and even when he can't do the third option stuff he's not like hustling more for rebounds he's not like passing out of drives more like he can he can be a five rebound five assist guy and the fact that it only happened eight times this season is nuts the fact that it only happened the like i think two times this entire calendar year and we're three or about four months into the year we mm-hmm. played a whole lot of games and he's had i think two games of five rebounds and five assists that should be regular. That should be an everyday thing. The fact that Emmanuel quickly has done that more coming off the bench, given his role, is nuts. It's crazy. Like, how before a couple of games ago, like Jalen Brunson had more blocks than him. Like, I think that just kind of shows that, you, like, that is such a. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the stocks have always been worrying. Yeah, like, and the whole thing was he doesn't get stocks because he's a positional defender. He's not even using his size. He might as well. He's six. He might as well be six one. Like, you can make him do society, and I swear, like, you can switch him and Deuce, and I swear, like, but his level effort with Deuce's height would be like Sharif Cooper. It's just, it's maddening to see, like, somebody who has, like, the pedigree that he does, 
the physique that he does just squander it because like he's just not a functional athlete he just can't do the things that you expect him to do in the third overall pick and look i get it i've been very hot takey with my opinions on rj barrett but when you're proving me right it's hard to be like well i'm wrong like and when he has a good game, I would tell him he has a good game. Like yesterday, I thought he had a really good game. That was one of his more positive games of the season. Like he shot the ball well, he finished well, he was able to draw free throws as well. But I don't know if you're the next hire or not, like done with him after the season. I don't know why, because like you can say, oh, he's gonna like bounce back and he's gonna figure it out. It it falls on him now. It falls on him because last year you could argue, okay, well, Jalen Brunson is gonna be a police alleviate Randall, you know? The idea is basically you can get him a better shot chart, put him in some more conducive lineups, and then he'll be able to play better. And the stats bore that out last year because Emmanuel quickly, when he played with it quickly, his true shooting went up like 5%. He was, like, he wasn't as efficient as he is now, but he was still a better player than he was when he was playing with Alec Burks and Kevin Walker, so on and so forth. For RJ Barrett, it's now it comes down to his development. It is solely him. He is the only swing factor and truth be told, like, you see where the Knicks are. I think everybody sees where the Knicks are. You're hearing stuff, when Horse say, like, they can trade for two star-level players. Like, now, I don't know how much credence they give that report, but the sentiments is right. Like, they can trade for a guy whenever they want to. It just depends on if they want to. And, look, I, I'm sorry if RJ Barrett is going to keep playing like this, and I have no reason to think he's not going to because he's played like this all season, especially when you thought he's going to turn it around. He's going to turn it around. Like he's played like this all season. Just when you think he's there, he starts like you take one step forward, two steps forward, and then he takes three steps, three steps back. So for me, I'm kind of just like disappointed, but not surprised. I would, I, I think it's time to cut bait. Just let this, let the on playoffs play out. Hopefully the Knicks are able to get themselves and find themselves and make it a competitive series. I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm not immediately declaring that. Also, thank God Cleveland won this fucking game. Holy shit. They won? Holy shit, they won. <laughs> Man, I, I, who hit the three? Who? Hit, uh, I, I mean, it, has, it has to be Mitchell, right? I think it was Mitchell. Uh, no, it was Isaac Okora. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just, we'll I it. mean, we'll take it. The, the Knicks are low, but the Nets are. <laughs> you know, oh, we'll, we'll take it. I mean, Miami is the oh, no, Miami is the seventh seed, but. No, I mean, Miami's, I'll, Miami's I'll, I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll say something crazy. If the Sixers pass the Celtics, I think you could argue the six is better than the five. We fade the Bucks in round two. Like, true. true. I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Celtics are definitely better than the Cavs. It just depends on, like, we definitely lose the first round more against the Celtics than the Cavs, obviously. But the times we do win, I mean, I would rather play the Sixers in the second round than the Bucks. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the Sixers. Um, you, you crowd you crowd Joel Embiid, make him a passer, and you kind of see what happens. But um, I took a girl, Nick Legend. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I don't know what to say about RJ Barrett other than this is par for the course, and it should not be par for the course, but it is, unfortunately, and if you're the Knicks, I, I, I think you have to kind of just accept the fact that you are 
like you're not it's all on him and he hasn't shown that he's able to do what you need him to do and it's clear like you see the architect that they want you see the architect that they want they want someone who could like collapse the defense on drives be a shooter um and be able to like run offense and you're not getting it from rj Barrett consistently enough like i think the fact that iq has surpassed him quite clearly is indicative of that i think the fact that josh hart has surpassed him in the ranking you could probably argue that Quentin Grimes has been better than him in the season. Like, it is rough. It's rough. I, I just want to say one thing. Um, and maybe this is me playing devil's advocate. Maybe I'm being a little bit defensive here because I've always been an RJ fan and I just, I'm always going to have a soft spot for him. But moving on for him from him because, you know, like Grimes and Josh Hart. What am I trying to say here? I just want to make sure I word it correctly. Grimes and Josh Hart are better than R.J. Barrett in the role that Tom Thibodeau has etched out for them. And Tom Thibodeau is the ultimate high-floor coach. But but moving on from R.J. Barrett would basically say that you have no interest in chasing volatile outcomes. You don't have any interest in chasing a ceiling if – if it potentially lowers your floor, you're good with Brunson and Randall as your two best guys. You don't, and you want to surround them with consistent role players. Um, because what RJ, and this isn't giving an RJ a pass. I will forever be, you know, on the, on the uh, team of, okay, RJ, maybe you don't like this third option role that, isn't letting you be star J as much as you want. But, and we said the same thing about Cam Reddish. So it has to be, you have to be fair. The first step in becoming a star in today's league, this isn't the nineties anymore. This isn't the early two thousands. It's not just like a scorer's league. You have to be a complete player. And it's on RJ to take the challenge that Tibbs is giving him and be a consistently impactful player, regardless of his scoring output. And he hasn't been that at all. He doesn't rebound very well, even though I think he's been doing that lately. He doesn't defend consistently. He's not creating for other people like when he attacks closeouts. Like when was the last time, like think about like if you think about Obi Toppin as a Nick, his most common play is catching the ball in the corner and attacking a closeout. I genuinely can't remember the last time I saw I, I saw RJ attack a closeout acting as like a true role player. He's still getting like most of his touches through pure initiating reps. So it's not like he's just, it's not like he's getting, he's playing the Grimes role where he's getting no touches and he's being asked to contribute in ways. No, he's getting somewhat of a diet that he wants. He has to take what he's given and make, you know, turn water into wine or whatever, whatever fucking analogy you want to make. And he's not doing it. Um, So I'll never be the type to just, you know, 100% blame one side. I I think blame goes around here. I do not think the Knicks have done RJ. I I don't think they've done a good job of building around RJ. I don't think they've done a good job of, you know, putting him in an environment where he's allowed to take his speed bumps. But RJ hasn't helped himself at all. Um, And tonight was just another example of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think my pushback on that would be like, I think you look at someone that quickly who like 
got to take those bumps and have now blossomed to like a guy who's probably going to win six man of the year. Um, and the quickly just had more of a base. He had more of a diet as a shooter. He could just do more as a facilitator, as a passer, as a defender. Like, I think at some point it has to come down to like, what are your capabilities as an NBA player? And RJ Barrett just does not excel in any real facet to be able to get to the rim. But he can't leverage the fact that he gets to the rim nearly enough as he should be able to. As a scorer, as a facilitator, as somebody who draws free throws and converts on free throws. So like your best skill, if you can't leverage it, then what do you do? Um, like his two best skills were spot up shooting and rim pressure. And he's not that good at spot up shooting this season, unless you talk about from like the right corner. And the rim pressure is always going to be there. That's the one part of RJ Barrett's game. Like, you know he's going to get two feet in the paint no matter what. But is it going to end up in a pass to an open shooter? Is it going to end up in a shot that leads to free throws? Or is it going to end up in a brick that he ends up flailing, getting to the ground, and not being able to get back in transition? And you're just starting opportunities for the other team. And realistically, for his career, it's been the third option. So, I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm at. I do think it's on him. The onerous is on him at this point, but I don't expect him to really be able to make that leap. So if he's not able to make that leap, I think at this point you kind of just need to find somebody who fits within that framework. I'm not saying it needs to be a role player. Like, hmm. so, so question for you, Tyrese. Let's say, let's just say I, I don't have a framework in mind. I don't, I don't know who else they'd give up or what the picks would be. But let's just say hypothetical. Hypothetically, RJ plus matching salary plus whatever picks. Pick your guy who is what Tom Thibodeau wants at the small forward position. Defense threes. What's up? Jimmy Butler. He wants Jimmy. Okay, Butler's too good. Don't don't, not Butler. Like a true role player, third option. Macau Bridges, OG Ananobi. How close are they, in your opinion? Somebody who's consistently raising the floor of the small forward position. How close do you think that team is next season? I mean, I think they make the second round. Like, my thing with R.J. Barrett is like... But what's the point then? What 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 is the point of making a trade that their ceiling right now is the second round, at least? I agree, <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's also comes down to the fact that, like, A, I would probably just try to get off that contract. Um, B, I... I think there's a, I think there's a role where like you could trade RJ Barrett and like I think Rise and IQ could soak up that usage and I would want them to soak up that usage, um, especially Grimes, because like if he's gonna keep playing the way he's playing like this, like he has he has equity as a pull up shooter as a distributor, he's obviously a really good defender. Like, so, I think my point is, and I think he actually drives pretty well despite the fact that like he doesn't drive as much as he should, I think he definitely drives pretty well. My point is, like, you I think, think that... Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, no, you weren't done answering, so you go. I'll, I'll ask. Okay. I'll, I'll keep the question in mind. I'm just, like, I'm just at the point where it's, like, yeah, RJ Barrett has the ceiling, but he also has no floor. And at this point, you're kind of just, like, yeah, the volatility aside, I'm not getting the high end of the on my volatility compared to like other guys like Quickly and um, Grimes. So I'm just kind of like, at this point, do I really want that volatility when like the guys who are in that same level of talent pool as him 
give me more, have more elite traits, and realistically are waiting to soak up that usage that RJ Barrett has. Like, Quick is already this good, and again, we've seen his numbers as a starter. Now imagine right. he's like getting those reps that RJ Barrett would normally get. I think you have a better player there. I think Grimes in that role is a better player there, especially if he got like the ability to like embrace that role because you know he can do the role player stuff. You know he can like attack and close out and shoot threes and pass out of his drives and such. So and then you'd get the player that you would get for RJ Barrett as well. So like I think there's a world where they're just a better team. I think there's a world where ultimately speaking they should just like look to optimize the players that are better than him around them. So I'm just like, at this point, it becomes less about RJ Barrett and more about like, how do we make Julius and Brunson the best versions of themselves? And I think that's realistically, that's goal number one for the front office. And if RJ Barrett doesn't finish that ethos, then you can't, you just kind of have to let it go. Yeah. So, Okay, so my question was going to be, let's say let's say we we reach a, a Julius situation this summer because we know this front office is all about value, and let's just say this summer there's no market for RJ, which would surprise me. He's 22 years old, and I I don't think he should be given up on. So the Knicks decide to keep him. Optics aside, just from a complete or uh, from a completely rational situation. Is there any merit to just rolling starting next season with Brunson, Grimes, Hart, Randall, Mitch, and then letting Quickly and RJ be the Quickly and Hart off the bench together? As a could, as could a that could that help RJ getting more of those getting more bench minutes? I don't think he'd like it. That's the whole problem with RJ. Like yeah. there's also the ego aspect of it. If you if you're getting to the point where you're benching RJ Barrett, you're basically saying he's so much of a negative that we're trying this is our last shot to make this work. That's yeah. the problem. Like you're doing the Russell Westbrook thing. The that, thing the thing it. is, the thing is, is like it's gonna be year five. <laughs> yep. You have to you have to start having these conversations. And look. It's year five and he's going to be 23 years old. I just the, the RJ quandary is I remember this preseason Schwinn said something. I'll never forget it because it was very prophetic in my opinion. He said that the Timberwolves made a mistake trading for Gobert and he made a point to mention that he really likes Gobert as a player and understood his value to the jazz. But what the Timberwolves did in trading for Gobert was they skipped a step in Anthony De- Edwards' progression. They didn't they they basically assumed he was already further along than he was. And Anthony Edwards is a really good player by the way, not comparing him to RJ Barrett. Different worlds of players right now. But there's a trajectory for a type of player that when the Timberwolves made that trade, they sort of removed Anthony Edwards from that trajectory and we're like, "Okay, we're throwing you into the fire. You have to be really good because we have we're all in right now. The way Tibbs coaches, the way he the way he basically lives and dies on each game, refuses to, you know, take little steps back so that the team can down the line take multiple steps forward. RJ has basically been shoehorned into this role player role. And 
regardless of what you think of him as a player right now or what you think of him as a player, what his theoretical upside is, it has unquestionably diminished his theoretical upside, in my opinion, and his ability, more importantly, his ability to reach his theoretical upside because there aren't bumps and bruises in Tom Thibodeau's world. The only question Tom Thibodeau asks is, are you good enough to win me this game on this night? And it's why he loves Josh Hart. It's why Josh Hart will close every game he plays. I'm going to say it every night. Josh Hart was bad tonight. He just was. Yep. But Tom Thibodeau will always be able to talk about Hart's effort and rebounding being important and reliable. That's how he views all of basketball games. And there's lots of positives to that. Like I keep saying, high floor. But there are downsides to that. And one of them is theoretical ceilings are less likely to be hit. And aside from Jimmy Butler, we've, I mean, I don't know how much credit you want to give Derek Tibbs to Derek Rose. Cause that was Tibbs's first season as a head coach, right? Like Derek Rose had already been through the, the bumps and bruises. Um, so Tibbs kind of just got handed MVP Derek Rose. So, I mean, I guess there's Jimmy Butler, um, but Jimmy Butler the, the the case for Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler was Josh Hart before he was Jimmy Butler. Tibbs loved him because of his defense and his effort, and that kept him on the floor. So if R.J. Barrett wants to stay on the floor long-term, he has to do that. He has to up his effort, can't not be diving for balls. He has to improve his rebounding. He has to improve all the ancillary parts of his game, and that's sort of on him. I'm not saying there's not a path forward. Jimmy Butler has laid out that path, but it's – not, I don't think it's the path that most top picks go on. What do you think about that? I don't know this is the path most top picks go on, but I also think that, I mean, if we're being honest, he should have been a top pick. But, like, my whole thing with him is just, like, he has to be that role-player role because it realistically, like, he was – his rookie season was bad. It was bad. And, like, you saw flashes here and there, but, like, the shooting was bad. The finishing was bad. The passing, again, was bad. And Tom Dittle was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to break it down. We're going to make you do, like, these things really, really well. And it's going to make you a better player in return. And it worked. It worked. And then they tried to kind of, like, you really try to have – Julius had a meltdown. We already know what happened last season. But they tried to, like, expand his role, and Archie just could not do that. Like, he, he couldn't do it. He was not able to play in that kind of framework. He just is not that level of creator. And I think now you're forced kind of like trying to find the balance. We're saying, okay, with the starters, you're going to do more of this whole like role player thing. You're going to like be a slasher who attacks closeouts and stuff like that. But then in the bench unit, we're going to give you those reps to like actually get initiation to like kind of give you those bumps. I kind of do feel like that was them trying to like balance out year two, year three. And it's, just hasn't worked because he just it i don't think he's being put in the best positions but i also do think that at some point like the best position doesn't matter if you're talented enough like we talk about optimization we talk about like you know putting guys in their best spots like is jalen brunson optimized like he gets a lot of usage i don't think that's him being optimized like jalen brunson went from playing in five out spacing with luca freaking Doncic and like Guys, he never he got paint touches constantly, and he never had to think about like a big in the paint. And now you're putting him with five out spacing to the guy in the paint who moves the least in the NBA. 
I don't think that's optimizing Jalen Brunson. I don't think it's optimizing Julius Randle. But they're making it work because realistically, there's talent. I think when R.J. Barrett is like... I, I, I'm just going to push back here a little bit. I, I agree that like that they're not being optimized, but they are being catered to the best they can. Like, of like, sure, Brunson and Randall aren't being optimized because of the roster and because of Tibbs's need to have a paint bound center, but that's kind of different. They're, they're being optimized in the having the entire offense catered to them and being run through. Right. I think, that it makes sense, but at the same time, it's like RJ Barrett's supposed to be a cog in that machine. You saw what them basically take like the first 25 games to figure out the usage triangle. Like that was a lot of them. Like you saw Julius scaling back. You saw RJ Barrett like leading the team with shot attempts for like the first 20, 25 games of the season, where like he had two more than everybody else. So they were like letting him take those shots and they were letting him get his lumps, and then they kind of were just like, okay, this doesn't work anymore. Um, you could say like they have unlimited leashes, or you could say like they've been optimized, but it's also like they have the talent to be optimized. That's kind of my thing. Like Tom Thibodeau, I'm not saying he's a great coach, he's a good coach. I'm not saying the system works because of like you know it's a great system, it's because of the talent, but it's also a system where it's like if you have the talent to make it work, you make it work, and if you don't have the talent to not make it work, you're going to fail in it. See Opie Toppin, see RJ Barrett, and look at the guys who succeed. It's Quentin Grimes, who can do stuff as a shot maker, Emmanuel Quickly, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle. Like, that's the problem. He just does not have the framework to optimize himself. And I don't think it was a matter of, like, oh, like, you know, they're not working on it. It's like, how do you optimize Andre Barrett? How do you, like, you have to provide him five outs facing, and then he needs to get better. I think that's my, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just like, he, he needs to get better. Also, that RJ being an iced out thing is complete bull. It has not happened this year. It hasn't happened since last year. Like, it, it, didn't, it rarely happened last year. Like, it it's not it's not real. Like, RJ Barrett gets a lot of opportunities. He's being iced out because he doesn't convert in his opportunities. Like, he still gets those shots. He still gets those reps. He's being benched because he's been really bad since, like, the turn of the calendar here. I mean, I agree that on the whole, he's not being iced out. I do think that there is this weird, there are times when RJ is in a groove when it feels like they can sort of fudge the offense a little bit to run it through him more, and they don't do that. So when people say he's being iced out, I think that's what they mean. Like, like okay, so I'll make a weird analogy. Tibbs is very robotic in his substitutions, right? Like um, last night against the Heat, I thought that in the third quarter, RJ should not have been the one to come out at the four-minute mark. But that's you know Tibbs is robot. Tibbs just does the same subs like all the time. I think a lot of times the offense kind of reflects its coach, and they just sort of go through the motions, and there's not really a an attempt to adjust to what's happening in front of them. And so I think when people say RJ's froze out, that's more what it means. It, it's like, you know, RJ can have, you know, a few good possessions or like there's clear, it's clear that like he's the one who has it going or he's got a good match. And then he'll go a couple of minutes without a touch because Brunson and Randall, because they're the guys when they're pro when 
RJ is supposed to be closer to one of them than everybody else. And sometimes it doesn't feel like he is. Sometimes it feels like he's a secondary option, even in his touches. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but in my head, it makes sense. Like, like he's viewed as like a play finisher, not a play starter. Yeah, I I agree with that because like realistically that's his role. Like he should be a play finisher. I don't really want him initiating much because like again he just does not have that capability yet as a player. Like he does not have that level of vision, that level of processing, and he doesn't have like the innate talent to like even in spite of that make it work. Like I think my example would be like, do you did you think did you ever think your wallet and your would be able to like initiate offense at the level that he does? Even if you could say it's a subpar level, like say he's like Mendoza line at initiating um, league wide, did you ever think he could get to that level? Did I ever think RJ could get to Julius' no. level? No, I'm talking about Julius. Like from what you saw, like I don't know if you watched Lakers Julius or like even New Orleans Pelicans Julius. From what he has been the last three years, did you ever think he'd get to the level where like he can do stuff as a passer like this? Yeah, absolutely not. Well, well, well as a passer, I feel like he's always been a skilled passer. But he's been a skilled passer in a way that's like, how do I say it? He's been a skilled passer in like a, oh, I'm playing pickup and I'm just see, I, I, I can do shit like in the air or like, you know, like just because I'm such a, the combination of like athleticism and size allows him to create angles and see stuff that very few can. Um, but as far as like being a hub, in the way he was, especially in the We Here year, no, I did not think he would ever be that. Yeah, so it just kind of feels like at this point, like, I do think there's just, like, a margin that talent covers that, like, you just cannot get from no matter, of like, how much you want to work, how much you want to try to optimize them, whatever system you're in. Like, at some point, talent is just going to, like, shine through. Um, and that's what I'm at. I'm just like, I... I'm not saying he's a bad basketball player because he's clearly an NBA level player. I'm questioning how much you can really do with his skill set and just his ability to process the game. And maybe that increases as he gets older and he's put into different systems, but I'm just not. Because the way you optimize him is like you give him reps that he doesn't deserve. That's kind of where I'm at. But don't you think, like, uh, man, like when Julius Randle was 22 years old, he was he had played like 20 games like I don't know, RJ's still so young and like I just feel like I feel like there's something like the things he does when he when things are going well are not things that a 22 year old is supposed to be able to do and um I we're completely in agreement about his output on the season and I think that there are a lot of RJ fans who kind of blur the line between what they believe his theoretical upside is combined with what they see when they see the best of him with what his macro output has been on the season. They, they, they kind of are like, well, RJ can do things that quickly can't, you know, so clearly he's better. It's like, no, like there's literally zero evidence that, that they are even in the same vicinity in terms of their output as basketball players in the years in the Lord's year of 2023. That's okay though. Like RJ has always been more of a wide range, volatile upside bet. Um, but I, I, I don't think he's the type of player you want to just give up on unless the right trades there. Like, I, I don't know. You said it earlier in this, 
And I think this is just where our fundamental difference is, because like I just said, we're very much in line about what his how he's helping the team or to be more frank, how he's hurting the team right now. But you said earlier in this that like the Knicks might just move on because like get off the contract. And like, I just don't think that RJ Barrett's the type. I don't think we're there yet. That's that's my opinion. I get it. I get it. Like, it's a very like aggressive move, but at the same time, I'm kind of just like you have two years left of um, below market value um, Randall and below market value Brunson, and quickly he's about to get paid soon. Um, like, I think you have your rotation set aside from RJ and Obi. Really, like you have like the guys you feel like you can go into a playoff series with. I think even Deuce can be a contributor in some aspects. I'm not saying Deuce is better than RJ. Don't get, don't let me, don't get ahead of me. Like, don't clip it. Um, what you, what you're saying though is that Deuce has that like he's not, he isn't Josh Hart, but like Deuce or Deuce has that skill set that Tibbs can always rely on. That'll just be there, yep. no matter what. So like Deuce is not close to as good as RJ, even given RJ swings. But the floor might be like there might be a more consistent floor, maybe not higher floor, but a more consistent floor, a more reliable floor. Especially if he improves as a shooter, right? So, like, I think RJ is volatile, but it's just like this is in the context of volatility, and realistically, like, how many more, how much more can you take of him just being this up and down player before at this point you're kind of just like, can we salvage this? And if we can't salvage this, then like. What do we do here? Because I do think you have to like think about those two contracts because those are like those are arguably two of the five best like contracts in the league. Like it's got to be like him, marketing, like well, not him, but um, Randall marketing, Brunson, and then like two others. I can't think of the top of my head, but like that's kind of where you're at. That's kind of where I'm at, where I'm just like, you have to optimize the roster. And if RJ take if R, trying to optimize RJ takes away from the rest of the roster, then I think you just kind of have to make that choice. And I think it's going to be hard yeah, to optimize I, I mean, RJ. I, 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 think, I think we're just, I think we're just going to have to like agree to agree on most of what you're saying. Yeah. But just where you're at, where I, where I'm not with you is extrapolating the frustration that he's not helping the team in this season and let that carry over to projecting forward. The only way you can get me on board with this is if you can like guarantee that Tom Thibodeau is going to be the coach for the next five years, because if Tibbs is the coach for the next five years, RJ's role isn't changing. There's I mean, no, evidence. I, th- I think you can guarantee for the next two. I feel very confident, like, unless this team bottoms out in the last, like, seven games or so, I think you can see a world where, like, well, Tom's coming back next year. Like, I don't think there's much debate on that. Year after, if they make the playoffs, he's coming back. At that point, it's going to be year six. You're heading into year seven. The problem with RJ, if he's going to pop, he's going to pop on a different team. That just kind of happens when, like, guys are on their second contracts and, like, they are still kind of like, eh. Like, you saw it, Oladipo. You've seen it with Sabonis. You've seen it with Markinen. You've seen it. Like, there are a couple guys every year who, like, come out of the cracks 
and are just like, whoa, why did this guy get moved? And it's like, well, he was never going to work in that system with those in that environment. He goes to a different environment. He pops. I'm not saying RJ Barrett can't pop. He's just never going to do it here. He's never going to do it here because, like, you know Tom Thibodeau isn't changing. And realistically speaking, like, you can reasonably expect Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle to be here for a while. You also have to consider the fact that, like, quickly keeps getting better. Grimes keeps getting better. And it's like, if he's going to get more and more marginalized, then, like, why are you trying to, like, force around around holes like square peg you know but i understand i can't i can't i can't disagree with anything you just said um it's just a bummer And, and honestly i think i think what makes me saddest about it is that we didn't just get 30 games of quickly grimes and rj last season yeah like just just to see them together because i do believe i i genuinely like i i I know Jalen Brunson's really good at basketball. I get that, obviously. I, I think we can win a playoff series with Jalen Brunson as our best player. He was unbelievable in that Jazz series last year. But I genuinely do believe that there is an intangible effect that quickly provides as someone who is more of a spacer and creates more of an egalitarian offense, that when you combine that with what Grimes does as you know his gravity, his movement, his defense, I, I, I think that... RJ would have basically been option 1B. I mean, he basically was the last 40 games of last season, except instead of playing most of his minutes with Alec Burks, you replace that with quickly. And instead of playing all of his minutes with Evan Fournier at the two, you replace that with Grimes. I think RJ would have been even better. And I think, I mean, I know the Knicks would have been better. And so like the right, like I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, I do think it's possible the Knicks, trade rj i'll be really sad if that happens because i do think it's still an upside bet that teams should make that the knicks should make but mostly it just makes me sad that we never got like even a little bit of a youth movement last season because it was just it was so clearly the right decision and and me you and sam said it every night that season yep all right before we get into comments and there's so many comments like y'all are awesome we just lost the fucking magic like just lots of the magic on a Thursday night. We have three nights off and there's just so many comments. We'll get to as many as we can. Um, there is one more thing that me and Tyrese were talking about before we hopped on here so that I want to sort of pose to the chat and see what y'all think. Um, but before that, I'm going to do the ad read. Um, without further ado, everybody's favorite thing. Um, the NBA season is heating up and there are still so many unknowns. Will the Knicks get into to or fall back into the plan or will they keep a top six seed when i'm looking to get in the action i bet with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba new customers can bet just five dollars pre-game money line on any nba team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do check this out right now everyone can earn up to 100 percent boost with DraftKings step up stepped up same game parlays Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, unfortunately, Sam isn't on here, so we can't talk about bets that were made because I did not make any bets tonight. But, all right, let's get to some comments. Um Third game in a row, we give up threes at an annoying rate to a Magic team who's bottom five shooting threes. Um, Tyrese, what did you think of their three-point defense tonight? Uh, I, 
Uh, it was good for the first three quarters, and the fourth quarter happened, and they just could not miss. And that was the worst part. Like, it happened in the fourth quarter. Because like, I think they, they only missed, like, one three that quarter. And I thought the defense was really good until then. So, it, it's just I, it's unfortunate. I agree. I, I I could go on a whole rant about, like, fucking hot take culture and needing to, like, express polarized views. I think the answer just lies somewhere in the middle. Like, I just <laughs> – I just there's so much variance on night to night shooting. There's so much volatility. Um, a team like the Magic going seven of eight from three and a quarter, that, that that just isn't all on the defense. Like that's just shoot. That's just guys getting hot. And I know that that sounds like, I know that sounds like a cop out, but sometimes you're just on the unlucky side of the draw for even a couple games in a row or like that, that just happens for seasons. It happens. You see guys, you know, like the analytics guys talk about like, I mean, shit, man, we saw a whole season of it with the Knicks and everybody talked about it. The 20, the, we hear season, everybody and their mother was talking about, okay, well, this is coming back down to earth because opponents shot X from three and they were projected to shoot Y and that's not going to happen in two seasons in a row. And then what happened the next season? So if you don't think in a game a team can get hot from three, I mean, Cole Anthony hit that three from above the break quickly when quickly helped at the nail and then recovered. And Clyde was like, oh, quickly, kind of blamed quickly. And I thought quickly's close. I was, I thought he recovered great. And Cole hit a really tough shot. Like, yeah, I, I actually, I thought their defense was good. And I, there's just a ton of variance in shooting them. Yep. Like, and their offense was enough to win the quarter. They scored 31 points. They didn't turn the ball over. Like, they got really hot at the right time. It just, some, when you go seven of eight, and the one guy who missed was Paolo, who also hit a three, like, it's just hard to come back from that. Like Cole hit two. Caleb Houston hit a three for whatever reason. <laughs> for whatever reason. Like Wendell Carter had like two heartbreakers. So yeah. Variance just really fucking sucks sometimes. Yeah. Um, all right. Vivek here with a comment that I wanted that sort of touches on something that I wanted to get into, uh, that me that I was saying me and Tyrese were talking about. Nick should be winning this game without Brunson. Agreed. RJ deserves the roast. Force him to talk, Leon. But getting outscored 39-18 by the bench is bad. We were bad this whole game, not just before. All right. Tyrese, I am going to pitch it to you. The question I asked to Twitter and anybody who has a comment, please chat. Please comment in the chat and I will get to it uh, in a little bit. Is there any merit at this point to benching Obi Toppin? Because... Obi Toppin is so far removed from his ideal role. He, he we're just, it's, it's year three. Is it year three? Is it, it's year three, right? Yeah, year, year three. Year three. Year three. And the days of, okay, at some point we're going to start, you know, we're going to cater to Obi. That's it. It's gone. Like what we were just saying for RJ applies even more for Obi. Tom Thibodeau has niched out a small little role for him. And he just basically wants him to be, you know, a spacer. And that's not what Obi is. And nights like tonight, I mean, he was minus 25 in 12 minutes. That That's the game right there. We lost the game in Obi's 12 minutes. Um, at this point, I think the team, the franchise isn't invested in him. There's no development happening. At what point do you just say, okay, like, we're going to raise, we're going to get Grimes, RJ, quickly, and Hart 
more minutes. Josh Hart, you are now getting all of the backup power forward minutes. And Grimes and quickly, you're and RJ, you're going to get some more minutes. And basically go to an eight-man rotation with Deuce there as the ninth man sometimes to spell some rest. Do, do you think there's merit to that? I would be surprised that like the, that's the playoff rotation. Like, I think at this point, like, what is Obi-Tom going to do for you? Like, you can't play him 10 minutes in a playoff situation. Like, he's never going to get those rules, like, those touches in the basket that he realistically needs. Um, He's never going to be able to shoot as well as you need him to. Like, he's just been bad since the turn of the calendar. He's been shooting, like, 20% of catch-and-shoot opportunities. Like, it's bad. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's still suffering from, like, that breaking his leg earlier. So, like, you know, the injury plus, the like, basically the stop-start of his minutes and the fact that, like, John Hart just does more, it's hard to fit him into rotation. I've heard a lot of the whole small ball OB Rando, and it's like, if you're going to run a small ball unit, why would you play OB Toppin in it? What does OB Toppin give you in a small ball unit that this team will utilize that, like, Josh Hart doesn't give you, RJ Barrett doesn't give you, because Josh Hart is going to give you more as a passer, more as a rebounder, more as a defender, more as a finisher right now, honestly. And Obi Thomas is going to give you length that he can't leverage because he's improved defensively, but he's still not somebody who could like put in most. Like I think he's improved as like an ISO defender and he's improved as a team defender, but he's still like not a good defender. I think at best he's like a he's a solid like a mediocre to solid defender and he has moments where he like he looks really good especially because bigger wings but josh hart also has moments where he looks good against bigger wings and i would argue he looks better against bigger wings than those um like compared to like the tatums of the world and like such so it's just hard to find a role for him and he isn't going to give you much and deuce especially if you're playing cleveland makes a lot more sense coming off the bench because even if it's like five, seven minutes, you're basically going to send him five, seven minutes of his against those. It's huge. Can swing a game. So. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, the, the one, the one aspect of it that you didn't bring up that I'll just bring up is, Josh Hart is passing on threes now more than he was early in his tenure with the Knicks. And it's approaching frustration territory. Yep. And, and that is more passable at power forward. It's you're, you have a bigger guy on you. So catching and attacking is slightly easier for a guy like Josh Hart. It is an untenable approach as a small forward. It's why the RJ Hart lineups don't work because you have RJ who isn't shooting well this season and you have Josh Hart who refuses to shoot. And then it's Obi and a center and quickly there's no shooting. There's no, there's no, this lineup does not have any shooting. Um, and I mean, when RJ and Hart close, it's Jalen Brunson who likes to operate inside the arc. It's Julius Randle who he's shooting a lot of threes but he likes to operate inside the arc. You need – shooting has a ton of value. And so letting Josh Hart slide over to four for more of the game, all of a sudden you're going to have Grimes on the court more of the time. You're going to have Quickly on the court. They're 
right now those two are their two most valuable spacers. Um, and in 2023, spacing is very important. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, if Obi's not going to be – if they're not even going to try to use him properly, in year four, I, I don't think you even have to worry about, like, his trade value. Like, it is what it is. We're deep enough into the season. The most important thing right now is these next eight games in the playoffs. And I just – you can't convince me – that replacing Obi's 12 to 15 minutes a game with more heart, more Grimes, more RJ, and more quickly doesn't help the team. I, I'm 100% sure it helps the team. Yeah, Giles, they advise Randall rest. Um, you know you can get rest out of the guards. You really can't get rest out of the like out of the big rotation unless you want to put RJ at the four, which like they won't do. So heart at the four makes more sense. I think he can soak those minutes fairly effectively. You could play him next to Hartenstein, and realistically, you can get another floor spacer in there, whether it be McBride, who I know he's not shooting well from three, but he's still a better shooter than Obi Toppin. Um, I mean, I also just think that just kind of speaks to like the lack of shooting this team has. Uh, but like that's a problem for a different day. You can't fix it in season unless you want to like randomly reinsert every Fournier. But like. Yeah, it's he just does not have a role in this team. They're never going to optimize him, and the 15 minutes or so that he plays at night is just not enough to get him doing anything offensively and be an impact player. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think of this. It almost felt like Obi can see the writing on the wall. His second shift, that that the start of the fourth quarter. I'm not even going to say it was bad. It was just really weird for Obi. Like he was like weirdly aggressive. Like normally he's not, he's not passive. He's just such a team first guy that like you never see him, you know, taking like that mid range shot that he took, but he was like, just, I don't know. He, he called his own number more than I did than he has in a long time. So like, since he was starter at the end of last season and it almost felt like Obi was like, well, fuck it, man, I'm going to get mine. Like if this is the end, I'm, I'm going out shooting. Ironically, like that's how he should play. You should be doing more stuff as like fake dribble handoffs. You should be trying to get like, you have a functional dribble. You have a functional dribble and two gallops of the paint. You can make that work. The fact that he's like, and I'm not going to say he, I brought, I do think it's coaching, but like, you have the ability to pump fake and drive to the basket. Sometimes you don't have to sidestep it and make it a three. I do think a lot of that is probably tips, but I also think at some point like you need to be able to be like, okay, dude, you might have to need some Josh Hart syndrome. Like you, ironically speaking, Josh Hart has to trigger to Obi Toppin has, and Obi Toppin should be playing more than Josh Hart. It's actually yeah. hilarious. So, yeah, I just, yeah, it sucks because you could clearly see that he's made strides especially early in the season where like, he was getting those reps. Like, before he hurt his leg, um, like, he was really taking those reps as a shooter. And the finishing wasn't there, but I do feel like the finishing has taken a step up with Hart in the lineup. So it kind of feels like if he was able to blend those two parts of his game, you ideally have what Tom Thibodeau wants out of his backup four. But the fact that, like, the shooting has dropped off as the finishing started to, like, uptick just a bit is just really unfortunate timing. Um, yep. I want to get to the aerial question because I, I think that's a really good question. Um, okay. 
what do you guys think is the next best small ball lineup in a game where RJ is struggling? Feels like him playing well, especially in defense, is crucial to making those lineups work because of his size. I agree, but if RJ is struggling, I think the best small ball lineup has to be quickly Grimes, Hart, Randall, Mitch, or Hardenstein. You can really switch between. Do, do you think? But do you think he? I mean, I think he means like small, small, right? Like Randall at the five. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What am I saying? Sorry. So, so it's it'll be Brunson, quickly Grimes, Hart. Random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you want to like go defense, defense, and put a deuce. But like, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably your five best players. I think so probably- the thing the the thing about going small is you can mitigate a, a lack of rim protection by doing two things. Well, one, you need to be crisp at the point of attack, and two you need to have guys off the ball who are very, very good at anticipating breakdowns, showing to help, and then recovering onto their guys. That is Emmanuel quickly to a T. That, those are his two best defensive things. Emmanuel quickly is the best, is the most valuable player the Knicks can have in a small lineup because he plays bigger than he is. Like, obviously not more valuable than Brunson and Randall, but like relative to his actual value, Emmanuel quickly is incredibly valuable to those small lineups because he plays bigger than his size and he does those things well that that negate the lack of rim protection. And so especially on nights that RJ is struggling, you can't just say, okay, we're, well, we're going small and RJ is six, six and quickly six, three. So need RJ out there. No quickly needs to be out there almost no matter what, because he is the best at those things that are going to make your defense better without somebody at the rim covering for mistakes. Like Tibbs loves Mitch as a rim protector because he's always worried about the worst case scenario. And so you saw tonight, like Randall wasn't good tonight. Mitch was actually really, really good tonight. And Hardenstein was for a bit too at covering for teammates mistakes. That's why he loves those rim protectors. So without a rim protect, a true rim protector out there. You still need someone out there who is going to cover for teammates' mistakes, and nobody on the team is better at, than quickly at anticipating a mistake, showing to dissuade the guy who just exploited the mistake from getting to the basket or having an easy shot, and then recovering onto his original assignment. That is quickly's greatest skill as a defender. Uh, quickly, I mean. I wouldn't say he's our best defender. Oh, I think he's arguably our best perimeter defender just because he just does so much as a free safety. Mm-hmm. I would say he's probably the most integral defender on the team because he covers so many gaps on this team. And you need that, especially with Brunson and Randall and RJ who have their defensive moments, but like usually are mediocre to bad defenders. So like having a manual quick there who could like cover the best guard, be able to switch over to the best wing in some instances, be able to, like, recover enough from, like, to defend in the corner to, like, come down and dig and then, like, generate events. The fact that he also generates events for this team is huge because we don't have a lot of event generators. Like, we have rim protection, but we don't have a lot of guys who, like, get in the passing lanes and get steals. You saw tonight that he had two steals, Grimes had three steals, and like that's indicative of being able to like anticipate the defense and then exploit it. And we don't have a lot of guys who do that. So yeah, he is arguably 
their most impactful defender just because of how much he can do and how versatile he is. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's an argument. I think he's definitely their most valuable defender. Um and it sounds weird to say because Grimes is such a good defender, especially at the point of attack. And you know, when you think of Grimes, I feel like a lot of people are like, okay, like if he ever becomes a really good offensive player, like he that's is. it. I'm I'm actually not worried about Grimes' offense. I think he processes fine for the most part. If any the the nights he's slow, like slow on the stat sheet, are just because he doesn't get involved as much. Um, but once he amps up the aggression, I'm not worried about like any of the actual skills, like his ball handling, his finishing at the basket, his shooting. I think he's good at all that. If I was a coach on the Knicks, I would just show Quentin Grimes a bunch of film of quickly off the ball defensively, because we're going to see this postseason what Jalen Brunson getting hunted looks like. We've, we already saw it the last two games the Knicks played, and as good as Quentin Grimes is on the ball, we need him in those starting lineups to do that quickly stuff. We need him to cover for Brunson's mistakes. Um, that will bring another layer to the starting lineups defense that it doesn't have right now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if people want to know how I think that Grimes can get better, I think that's it. I think that's a step forward he can take is his off-ball defense. Uh, I have a question. So, like, I was thinking for, like, a playoff starting lineup, do you think there's credence in running out Brunson, IQ, Grimes, Randall, Mitch, and then making uh, Brunson the first sub, putting in RJ, and then I'm just, like, in the the three-order class because it's never going to happen. But, like, making RJ the first sub and then Hart the second sub and then essentially making it so, like, you're – backup unit is like IQ, Hart, RJ, Randall, Mitch. So what you mean, so what you mean though, is you, you would put RJ in for quickly first and then start the second quarter with quickly in for Brunson. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course there's merit to it because quickly is better than RJ. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. You're just like, you're just flipping their minutes, and that how can that be a bad thing? You're you're getting the better player more minutes. Right? Yeah, I'm kind of just like, and I think it makes sense because like if you're playing the Cavs, assuming that they finish fifth, which I still don't do, hot take. Um, I do think there's like credence in like maybe just going okay, let's get our two best guard defenders against their two best guards, and like try to win those minutes because if RJ is slacking and like we need to cover for Brunson anyway, why don't we give him two safety belts instead of one? Yep. Yeah. And then like you tell RJ Barrett, it's Karis LeVert and Sh- Shetty Osman, you can win those minutes. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Uh, I am very worried that I, I think you could make the argument that that's the number one worry. Who's going to guard Darius Garland on the Knicks? Yep. I mean, I guess it's RJ. But I I hope RJ is up to the challenge. Uh, and you know what? Like that may be even a little bit unfair to RJ because like RJ like we saw RJ guard Jimmy Butler well. That's the kind of guy that RJ you know we've seen RJ guard Jason Tatum well. He's but supposed think, to be. A, but think that like what? RJ like he guards bigger players well, but smaller players give him a lot of trouble because he's just not as shifty and he can like he doesn't really fight these right. and contact and such. So I'm kind of just like it would make more sense to like 
have the guys who are able to defend at the point of attack, who are able to like one v one guard their best guards, and then kind of just be like, okay, RJ Barrett, like come in and like, well, one of them sits, you have more freedom because at least one of those guys is going to be the game, especially if you're benching Obi and you're putting Deuce in those minutes. That means that for at least for all forty minutes, you have one of quickly Grimes or Deuce on the floor with an offensive threat. And you're kind of able to like keep one of those guys preoccupied. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Where I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if I trust him to guard Darius Garland. I think that's a really big. That might be a really big thing where like they might just go at RJ Barrett or, J- or Jalen Brunson, and then you have the grind just like trying to like guard in those spots, and he can't do it. Well, what they'll do is they'll use Okoro as a screener. Yep. Um. That'll be that'll be their primary action. Um, well, that's unfair. They'll get Randall involved too, because Mobley and Mobley and Allen are very, very skilled, like with their hands around the basket. Um, so they'll hope Mitchell can win, you know. And but I, I, I actually think Grimes is going to be very up to the challenge. Um, he's so good at screen navigation. I think the Cavs are in for a surprise if they think Mitchell is just going to get to his spots. I, I, I think Grimes will do a good job, and I think their backup, you know, when Garland has the ball, and. Uh, and even if RJ does a good job, I think they'll use Okoro as a screener. And what they'll do is they'll have um, Brunson show to slow down the ball handler so that RJ or Grimes can recover. And then when they recover, Brunson will, you know, get back out to Okoro. And if Okoro beats them on catch and shoot threes in that split second that he's open, the Knicks are willing to live with that. And I think they should be. I honestly kind of feel like the matchup might be Randall Garland, I feel like that's probably like because I think Donovan Mitchell is like strong enough to deal with Randall, but Garland isn't, and Garland can't keep up with Randall's footwork because Randall's footwork is, regardless of what you say about his defense, like his ability to guard an ISO situation and his ability to just like keep up with guys one through four is elite. So yep, you I think there's a there might be merit to like okay put. If you're not going to change the style, put RJ on a Coro. Well, no, you can't put RJ on a Coro. Ah! RJ and Mobley. RJ and Mobley. Brunson on a Coro. Grimes on Donovan Mitchell. And then Randall on Garland. Might be the I mean, they're just... I, I, I see what you're saying in theory. They're just never going to do that. I know, I know, I know. I'm thinking too ahead of myself here, but I'm also just kind of like, that would make more sense. Christopher Vieira is was not happy with Julius Randle. He said, Grundle is back, y'all. That was a terrible look going at IQ, and his defensive effort was non-existent for most of the night. I agree. Um, I, yeah, I kind of I commented on that earlier, so what, what? let's hear your thoughts on Randle, Tyrese. I thought he fucking sucked into the fourth quarter, which was too little too late. Um... I okay, there are good techs and there are bad techs. Like sometimes, like you know, if you're like losing it, you get a tech and you're just like, okay, this fires the team, you know, this guy's getting ignited. You saw it last night, they got the tech and then they immediately like closed the gap in the third and into the fourth quarter. So like there are good techs and bad techs. That was a really rough tech. You do not need to do that. It's halftime. They're not gonna change the call. The bells already rang, or the buzzer's already going off, the bells already rang. But like it made no sense there. And then, like, you see... And then, like, as soon as you saw him get up, you saw, like, Grimes and IQ immediately go to, like, 
pull him back. Like, so I think everybody kind of knows. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of just like, that wasn't a good tech. Uh, to his credit, he did play better in the second half. But at the same time, it's like, you can't do that. You can't put your team in a deficit that badly. And, and you contributed to that and then, like, give them more give them more of a hole to dig out, yeah, dig out of. Like, one point, it's one point. I get it. I'm not saying that that lost them the game. But you don't want to make it harder than it needs to be in that instance. If it's like, I get it, you're being un, um, you're being rest really poorly. Ultimately speaking, you took, you took 10 free throws. You took 10 free throws. And it was even for the first and second half. The first half, you took five. The second half, you took five. So... It was just really, it was really rough. It was just like, it's not something you need to be doing. Um, yeah, like he played a really shitty game or a really shitty first half. I thought he was better in the second half. But I like the fact that IQ was like willing to kind of pop out his chest a little bit. Even if Randall kind of didn't like, kind of Randall brushed it off. But like the fact that IQ is able to do that is... That's a huge leap. That's probably a bigger leap than like on the court stuff because that means that off the court, you know, like he commands that gravitas. And I think a lot of him, Randall, aside from Randall, like I do see that Brunson kind of sees a lot of himself in him quickly. And I do think that like, you know, those other guys look at him as like the guy who's running the bench unit. And, you know, he's going to win six men of the year. So like those guys, like quickly being able to like step up in that role definitely looks like really good for him. And ultimately, I do think that that shows well for like um, quickly stature within the organization and within the team, especially. But it was just a rough, really stupid fucking technical and a really stupid moment in a team for a team in a, um, in a moment that did not need any more stupid moments. I couldn't believe. I, I, I was very, I was already like proud of quickly for. Um, getting in between Randall and the ref and trying to just diffuse the situation. I thought that was just really heads up. Like he's always just been a high IQ guy. Um, But after Randall got the technical and they sort of started walking away and quickly was just sort of still like pushing him away when Randall like shoved his arm down and then made it between quickly and Randall. And you saw Randall literally just screaming in quickly's face, like yelling at him for quickly to stand tall and just yell right back at him. Like, you know, he was like, dude, like he knew he was not in the wrong and to not cower there. I don't know. There's just, you know, I know that that meme is like, Oh, he's got that dog in him. Like, I think we know at this point that quickly he's got that dog in him. Like, I think, it's just another reminder that this is a guy who is like built for this stuff, um, built for this city. And, you know, he said before the game, he's like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into like bench score, microwave score, you know, like he doesn't want that. He's like, I don't put in all this work to not eventually start one day. Um, and you asked the question earlier, like, I don't know, like, is that going to be on the Knicks? Cause like, as long as Grimes and Quickly are Knicks, 
even if quickly is always the better player next to Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes will always be seen as the better fit in the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, you know, quickly has grander aspirations and it begs the question, like how he reaches them here. Um, and I guess that's just a question that only time will tell. Cause I mean, I certainly don't have the answer. Yeah. Like I think that's it too, where it's like, you're going to have like, ultimately speaking, I think crimes IQ and RJ kind of playing into like, you're going to have to, if you decide to keep all three of them, I don't think they will. Cause I do think there's a good degree of trade at some point, but you're going to like, you're ultimately going to settle on two of them. You're going to have to settle on two of them who which two of them they are is the question i think i think it comes down to like you know iq is probably the best player of the three but he comes off the bench grimes is the best fit next to brunson rj is like the highest paid player in Knicks history who also is the third overall pick and there's pedigree there so it's like ultimately you're gonna have to choose between two of them because only two of them can realistically get like those significant minutes from this team and be starters because brunson's gonna be there so let's just say hypothetically the Knicks were I know you don't like him but but let's say the Knicks got him beat and it didn't involve quickly or Grimes somehow it was like an RJ based package plus all the picks I can see that like RJ bitch that makes sense is Brunson quickly Grimes Randall Embiid is that a lineup you could see yeah absolutely I think it makes a lot of sense like Hart can essentially be your sixth man. Um, you get you get buyout guys because PGT is contender. So like I don't think replacing the depth would be that hard because I think you get enough functional players to like give you a quote unquote bench unit. And I think that you could stagger enough to where like IQ and Hart running bench units would just win you a lot of games. So shit, man, you would have to stagger like Randall would be on that. Oh shit! Yeah, Randall, Randall would probably be the guy staggered, which is right. not. Yeah, you you would you're like you would stand like you would have four guys who you value as initiators, and so if you think about you know Brunson and MB, if you if you do what the if you remember the Warriors, I know Draymond Green isn't you know an offensive hub, although he kind of is in his weird way, like he, when paired with Steph. Yeah. Um, but um. If you think of it, if you what the Warriors did is they sort of paired them and they made sure two were on the court at all times. Um, so like it's kind of cool to think about hypothetically, you know, the Knicks being like, okay, we're gonna play hypothetically, we're gonna play Brunson and Embiid, you know, full quarters together, and then we're gonna pull quickly and Randall early, and then we're gonna start second quarters with quickly and Randall plus the bench unit, and we're gonna get Brunson and Embiid, you know, like that's that's actually kind of sweet to think of like. I mean, I to me that's a title contender. I I don't know about you. It would depend on like Embiid's health and Embiid being able to play up to the competition. But like, yeah, I that makes a lot of sense. And then you just have Grimes kind of floating between the units. Like that would be nuts. Yep, that would be that would be really good. All right, here's uh, an interesting perspective from Ariel again that we didn't really cover when talking about RJ. He says RJ's lack of physicality is a problem on both ends and on the glass. I think this is an awesome point. Um, I 
I think this is just absolutely a great point. RJ's defensive rebounding is probably his worst skill that he has. And it's been better lately. He was bad again tonight. He, for his size, has no business being as invisible as he can be on the defensive glass sometimes. Um, And when Ariel brings up here the lack of physicality, he's talking about two things specifically, in my opinion. One, when he drives to the basket, he does not use his body to go through people and to, like... When you say when you, I know he's LeBron James, when you see LeBron fucking James take contact, he goes through that contact. It does not veer him off his course. The reason RJ is bad at drawing fouls is because he does not do a good job of actually like making it clear that there's contact. Like he operates below the rim and he operates in, in a very weak manner a lot of the times. And so a lot of times he's just fading away from the basket and he's turning decent efficiency shots into lower efficiency shots. And then on defense, he's talking about using his physicality physicality to navigate screens and get rebounds on the defensive glass. And all of these areas are consistent with the idea that RJ plays smaller than his size. Yep. yep. It's, it's been a problem. I think like you are six, six. Why are you like, trying to like get the bump and then trying to like throw up this five foot floater slash jumper that's going to hit the rim and then bounce off. Like, I don't get it. I don't get like You are built like a brick shit house. You do nothing but eat protein and lift weights. You should be able to take contact. Like you're probably 235 right now. Why are you playing contact diverse? It makes no sense whatsoever. But, like, again, I do think that him being a below-average athlete hurts because he can't just, like, power through dudes or up over dudes. He has one way to go, and he just does not want to take that path. Like, if he was a, let's say, for example, Anthony Edwards, like, even if he was playing contact diverse, he would be able to just dug over dudes sometimes. He doesn't have that burst. He doesn't have that lift. So it's like when you're a below-average athlete and you're a contact diverse and you already don't have a good touch – you're just combining like probably the three worst qualities that you need to be like that you um that you have like as a finisher in the NBA. Combine that with like just god awful physicality. You you can't make that work. Like it just there's not a recipe for success there. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um. All right, here's a good question. Daniel uh, Mejia? Mejia? Sorry for butchering your last name. Um, Is the round two optimism still alive? What do you think? Yeah, it is. If we get the Cavs, do I think they can win that series? Yes. Do I think it'll be a hard-fought series? Absolutely. Can they still win it? I think so. I'm not going to say the Rossi optimism is dead. If they drop to six and we're playing like the Sixers, then okay, then yeah, good season. At least try to make it six games. But like, if they keep the fifth seed, I just kind of feel like they have the ability to beat the Cavs. They have the personnel that matches up really well against the Cavs. The variance of shooting really sucks at this moment. 
but realistically, like aside from that fourth quarter, they shot like they shot forty percent from three, but like the first three quarters, they weren't shooting well from three at all. So, one bad quarter kind of doomed them, and it sucks. But I think their three, I think their defense was fine tonight. They gave up one hundred eleven points. They didn't really like the Magic. Didn't really shoot well. It was just that one quarter where they couldn't miss. See, like, I think the Rontu dream is still alive, and Cleveland, I'm sorry, like, Cleveland has, like, Cleveland's offense is a problem. Like, I get it, they're really efficient offensively, like, their offensive rating is high up there, but, like, there's a threshold that Cleveland can't meet. Like, there are just points that Cleveland cannot score. Like, if you can get to 120, I think Cleveland has a hard time matching you, because they don't score that is that that is that team's big issue. They have two guys who they realistically rely on scoring, and then the rest of the lineups are like non-shooters, and like they have Shetty Osman, but like and then Karis Lebert who could probably win them a game or lose them a game. And our bench unit is significantly better than their bench unit. I don't think that's a conversation. Like I think we have the personnel to contest their best players. I think we have the stronger unit, and ultimately I think that our personnel in the starting lineup is enough to handle their personnel in their starting lineup. So I think that that dream is still alive. I'm not going to let three games sway my opinion. I, I, I'll i be very interested to see what how Tibbs attacks the matchup. Um, because the Cavs do stagger. I, I watch a lot of Cavs. Um, my closest friend is from Cleveland or he's not from Cleveland, but he basically is his favorite teams are all Cleveland teams. And, uh, he's, you know, a Cavs guy. So I watch them for him and I just, you know, I think they're an enjoyable team to watch and the Cavs make sure that one of Garland or Mitchell is on the court at all times. If the Knicks decide that they're going to match up Grimes and Mitchell's minutes, which I could see Tibbs doing, you know, he loves doing stuff like that. And then give quickly his normal sub pattern, which is, you know, he comes in for RJ um, or Grimes at around the four minute mark. It's going to kind of be redundant because I I don't want to say redundant, but Basically, what I'm saying is Grimes and Quickly will be sharing the court very minimally when both Garland and Mitchell are on the court. And that's not ideal for the Knicks. You would think you would want those two on the court for when Garland or Mitchell, Garland and Mitchell are on the court a higher percentage of the time. Yeah. Um, it really just comes to like how Tibbs optimizes lineups. Um and even still, like, you look at the Cavs score, and they scored 116 tonight. And, like, Donovan Mitchell scored 31. Garland scored, um, Mobley scored 26. Garland struggled. Karis Levert was, like, decent. And then, like, their bench gave them nothing. And Lamar Stevens played three minutes tonight. So they're essentially running an eight-man rotation right now. And got, like, Mobley's playing 39 minutes. Garland's playing 39 minutes. You know, like, so... There is a lot more margin for error for the Knicks, just given the fact that, like, they are playing so many positive players on the lineup compared to the Cavs, who, like, have, I would say, seven guys I trust 
I don't trust Karis LeVert. He can win you a game, I think. I think Karis LeVert's going to have a game where, like, he puts a 20 or whatever. And the Knicks are going to have to, like, withstand that. But otherwise, like, who on the Cavs is really going to be, like, a significant threat? And if they're having to, like, cut guys' minutes early and, like, spend, like, 41, 42 minutes on, like, a game, I think that's going to add up for them. So, because I think that, ultimately speaking, the Knicks having such a good bench and being able to, like, mix and match their lineups is going to help them be fresh. So I think that is a thing that the Cavs are going to have to, like, figure out, like, how do we win these minutes where, like, maybe um, Donald Mitchell is sitting and we can, like, really attack Garland and make him, like, put up bad shots. I mean, this isn't me playing devil's advocate, but because I agree with everything you said. There is something to the Donovan Mitchell, something intangible to it. Like, he's going to – I'm not saying he's going to crush because I think Grimes can be up to the challenge. But there's a very high ceiling for what he could do against the Knicks because I think he's going to get up for that matchup. I think he wanted to be in New York. And I think he knows that, like, all the eyeballs will be on this series and that'll be the story. And I don't know. I, it'll be popcorn-inducing is what I'll say because I just I, – I, that does scare me. I agree. Like, but it comes down to, like, is he going to be taking 23 shots a game? And if that's the case, then, like, how, you're assuming that the Cavs maybe get – 85 to 90 shots a game. If Donovan is going to be like a quarter of your shots, that might be cause for concern. Because it also comes down to like, yeah, he's going to score the ball, but are other people going to be able to score along with him? And I guess it's like, if you're trying to maximize touches in that kind of way, then I think that's, that is an issue. Yep. Um, Nick's tape. Sub Nick's tape says... At some point, RJ has to help himself out too, even if he's not being fully optimized. Um, I think we both agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, Hawkeye420 says, Brunson and Randall have unlimited leashes. That's how they're optimized. That's interesting. I mean, I think, um, I think usage has something to do with it, but I also think it comes down to, like, usage also involves, like, how much you're able to do with the basketball. And RJ Barrett just cannot do as much with the basketball as those guys can. Not as a shot maker, not as a facilitator. So it's hard to optimize a guy like that because the way to optimize him, in my opinion, is how he was playing year two. But if you're trying to put him into a role where, like, you're giving him more on-ball reps, it's hard to optimize that because he's just never going to make it worth it. Again, I go back to he looks a lot like OG and Anobi if you watch OG and Anobi tape. You're kind of just like – like, he's a better passer than OG and Anobi, but not by much. And it comes up to, like, can this guy create of, like, out of those ISO situations, can he do stuff as, like, a self-creator? And if he can't, then, like, he just needs to learn to scale down. Or not learn to scale down, but like he needs to embrace being able to scale down, do more of the Andrew Wiggins thing. But it took Wiggins another team context and playing with like the literal greatest dynasty of our generation 
to learn that. And I don't know if he's going to learn that in New York where, like, he's been revered since the day he got here. Yeah. I got a, uh, a text from my, uh, my Cavs friend, and he, he asked me, but I'm going to ask you um, because you're more the draft expert. Mobley goes number one in a redraft, right? No. Who goes number one? Uh, Franz. Whoa. I would take Franz at number one in a redraft right now. Really? Franz is that good. Franz is very good. Okay. I think Franz. I think Franz. Mobley is number two then. Yeah, I could say Mobley number two. Um, Franz is just nuts. <laughs> like, I, didn't I, think, realize, I, think, I didn't realize Franz had, had been so good. Yeah, like Franz is like a near 20 PPD score on like 60 true shooting. And like he's not a bad defender, but he's a positive net rating on that team. So like... I think Franz is obviously in the All-Star conversation next year. Like, he's that good. He's really wow. good. Um, and I didn't see this coming, but, like, he does a little bit of everything. He can also, like, shoot the piss out of the ball. He's hyper-efficient in his touches. I still think he's leaving a bit on the table, especially since he's playing next to Paolo, who's, like, getting those reps. But, like, I I think teams would take Cade because just, like, the tantalizing upside – but for me, I'd probably do like Franz, Mobley, Cade, Giddy. And that's probably my top four. Wow, I totally forgot Giddy was in that draft. It's crazy. He's so good, man. Giddy's so yeah. good. <laughs> um, Hawkeye 420 says, oh, no, keep going. I'll... Yeah, uh, just, man, Giddy's so good. But like, also, Grimes is probably like seven or eight in that draft. So like, hey, it's okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty nice. Uh Hawkeye 420 says about the shooting, why is it only us, Chef? Okay. It is not only us. This shooting variance happens to every team in the league. It just seems like it's the Knicks because we watch the Knicks every night. I had this conversation with Knicks tape earlier tonight about RJ and calls. Like all I see from, and I'm an RJ fan, so I don't think I'm, like, separating myself from you guys, but from, like, RJ stands, all I see is, like, well, you know, he gets he gets fouled more than he gets sent to the line. So if you just gave him those free throws, what would it do to his efficiency? If, if you can't only do that for RJ. It's not like the refs are missing three calls a game on RJ and get every, getting everything else perfect. But you have this bias towards RJ, which is okay. Like, you're allowed to be a fan that makes you think that way. But like if refs called that game, the game that way, then teams would shoot like a hundred free throws a game and there wouldn't be a basketball game. Calls are missed on everyone. I promise you RJ isn't like, even if he gets a bad whistle, which I believe, I actually do believe he he gets a bad whistle, but it's not like, Oh, he should get six more free throws a game. It's like, okay, maybe he should get like half a free throw more a game or something like that, you know, like relatively. And the same goes with three point shooting variants it seems like the Knicks are like this crazy outlier with like, Oh, the heat were bottom five and three point shooting. And they made a bunch of threes and Oh, Torian Prince. And now the magic who are awful. Like, okay. Maybe the Knicks are like a little bit of an outlier, but it's not like this thing that's oh, it's only happening to the Knicks. No happens to everybody. Three point shooting is very, very volatile. 
And sometimes some teams get, you know, good, good variants and some teams get bad variants right now. We're on the negative end of the stick and that will turn around. It's okay. And to Hawkeye's point where he follows up, he says, there has to be a scientific answer to this BS man. If we want to talk about the tangible part of it, the Knicks defense is designed to embrace that invariance. They do not like Tibbs's entire view on life is the value of consistency. So what he values on offense should be very informative as to what he's trying to take away on defense on offense. He values high floor buckets and low turnovers and shots at the rim and offensive rebounds. So he's trying to take away offensive rebounds. He's trying to take away high floor buckets at the rim. What are the ones he's willing to live with? He's willing to live with sort of open threes with our guys getting out. And if the other team gets hot, if that's how you lose, that's how you lose. We've been on the short end of that stick the last few nights. Yeah, and like during our win streaks, you're seeing it the other way around. But like teams were hitting shots against us. Like we won the double OT game against Boston because Horford missed a shot that he literally leads the league in. So variance is a fickle mistress, and sometimes it it hits like the worst moment. And right now it's kind of hitting when the team is kind of going through a bit of a funk. But then again, we play Houston, so I expect everything to be right in the world soon enough yep um nick's tape asks what's the ideal closing playoff lap if everyone is playing well won't happen but i want to hear your opinions uh if everyone's playing well if everybody's playing well brunson iq has to be in it rj grimes this is where I'm kind of If everybody's playing well, then I have. So you want to go small is what you're saying. Yeah. And I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think like, I don't see Jared Allen as this like feared rim protector. I think he's okay at it, but he's not somebody where you're like, Oh, I need to, I should shrink the floor against him. Um, I would shrink the floor against him. I would put him on his face. I feel like you're able to exploit him. I think he's a good offensive rebounder, but I don't think he's a world beater in that regard. Um, even though he's been averaging three and a half, I think you can I think you'll be able to make it work. But yeah, if you're everybody's playing well, then like the spacing and shooting, you basically be able to run five out. You'd run five out offense with Brunson and Randall and have elite point of attack defense. If RJ's playing well, that means he's able to use his size as a defender as well. And he's bossing out on defensive class. So I think there's a lot of merit to playing, you know, like your five best basketball players. I'm a little bit less sure that it's tenable against the Cavs. I think Allen is a monster. And then Mobley's just, I, I think we would be giving up too much on the offensive glass. Um, even with everybody playing well. But against the Celtics, oh, right there with you. That's that's the five I'm closing with all day, getting Randall that space. Uh, you know, if everybody's playing well, give me Brunson, Quickly, Grimes, RJ, and um, Randall. Or, you know, put Hart in there if you, if you want a little bit more rebounding. Um, I, I know that's a bit of a cop-out, but like – 
I, I just think it's so unlikely that everybody's playing well that I just hope that Tibbs gets the answer right. And I'll, I'll just be honest. I, this hard situation, it just, it still worries me. Um, cause I like Josh Hart as a player a lot. And I think he's a winning basketball player. I just really don't want him to turn into Alec Burks 2.0. I don't, I, that, that I don't want to like, be like, God, like, why is he just a default closer? He, he doesn't need to be. He's not that, he's not that guy. Yeah. I didn't give it much credence, but after the Miami game, I, I think it's real. Because that was a game where Grimes and RJ were playing well. And like you put Grimes in that late, that says something. That tells me that like, okay, you're trying to configure lineups with Hart in them to end the game instead of like just playing him if he's playing well. So now I'm kind of concerned that like maybe you're looking at a situation where he might just be default closer, and if he's just default closer, then that's rough. Yeah, your your example is a perfect one, and he and, and I'm not going to give Tibbs like Tibbs didn't even put Grimes back in. He put Grimes back in because he wanted to go small. So yeah. like yeah, he put Grimes back in, but it wasn't like a oh uh, okay, Hart's uh, not really giving us much. He was like shit. I need Hart. I guess I'll go small. You know, like that was him saying like he preferred Hart to Mitch basically, which I don't know, man, like there's somebody in the I, I don't want to scroll back up. I'm saying I apologize to whoever said it, but somebody, you know, parroted something I, I said the last stream. Hart's a good player, but there's a reason the Knicks got him for what they did. Um, he's not a perfect player. He's not a star. He doesn't need to be playing no matter what, just because you like his rebounding and energy. There are different ways to impact a game. Um, so it's just something to continue monitoring because, I mean, Grimes, RJ, and Quickly are all capable of really good games. And there will be games where two of them are playing well, like last night against Miami. And they're not going to be happy not closing in games they're playing really well in because Tibbs likes Josh Hart's energy and his rebounding. That's bullshit. Yep. I, I do think it is something you know, to monitor for now because beforehand the argument was, well, RJ, two of RJ, Quick, and Grimes have never had it, had it, had a good game with Josh Hart as well. And Josh Hart was playing at such a high level that now that he's tapered off a bit in these last couple of games, I want to say tapered off and, like, he's been playing bad. He's just been, like, not his elite role player self. He's been, like, solid. But I think other guys have been playing better than him. So it's something to look for, and I will be curious to see, like, if it persists, which I think it might actually end up doing. So I wonder how that's going to work. And I wonder if Tibbs will have the call to like turn away from it in the playoffs. Um. Yeah, uh, it'll. I mean, it's just such a difficult, like, balancing beam because Hart is a good player. So you don't like it. Just it almost feels wrong to it. We're not being critical of Hart, just like we weren't being critical of Alec Burks last year. It's just, and Hart's better than Alec Burks. Like he, he actually helps winning even more. Um, but 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't think he needs to be out there every single night. Um, nope. Or excuse me, at the end of every single night. Obviously, he deserves to play every single game. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. All right. I think we're reaching the end. Uh, this guy Stanley came in here with a bunch of comments, so I feel like I should highlight one of that one or two of them. Um, all right, we'll end here. This is a great one to end on. Thank you, Stanley, for this comment. Um, the next three games are going to determine the next season. We need to beat Houston, Miami, and play well against Cleveland. If we go two and one, we have a great shot at the fifth seed. Uh, I really like this comment, and I'm glad we get to end on it because not only do me and Tyrese get to project forward, but I. I think there's a hint of optimism here um, in terms of a belief that we can go two and one and we can play well. Um, So I'm going to throw it over to to you, Tyrese. What do you think the Knicks will do in these next three games? uh, And how important do you think these next three games are? Well, I think summing up the season is, I wouldn't say it sums up the season because I do think they have that four-game stretch against like the Pacers, the Wizards, and then like New Orleans, where like they will probably be able to get some ground even if they falter a bit. But I do think this is kind of like the way to solidify yourself into that fifth seed. If you beat Miami, get the tiebreaker. If you beat Cleveland, um, the fourth seed. I'm not thinking about the fourth seed anymore. They've lost too many games now at this point. But the fourth seed. Um, it also gives you like a bit of an edge against Cleveland in terms of like, okay, we've beaten you three times with this new rotation and you haven't been able to figure it out yet. We've beaten you with guys with Mitchard, we've beaten you with Deuce McBride in the lineup. Now we've beaten you with us at full strength. That is gonna give Cleveland a bit of like that that will definitely matter because now it's like Cleveland has to figure out how to beat you, you know how to beat Cleveland. So, yeah, I do think these are probably the three biggest games of the season. The Houston the Houston game should be a get-right game. This is a game where, like, you should win comfortably 15-plus, and you should be able to, like, be bottle-flipping in the fourth quarter. You should – they should be a blowout. Bottle-flipping. Um, yeah, like, we're just LeBron in the garden. But, like, you should be bottle-flipping in the fourth quarter against um, Houston. I think you can beat Miami at home. The fact that the game was close with Miami shooting the piss out of the ball – is I think a testament to how well they shot and a testament to how good this team's offense is inside of that. So like you can beat Miami, you can beat Houston. If they if they went three and zero, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think anybody would be surprised if they, if they went three and zero that week. Two and one, I think is more likely, but I think probably beating Miami means more than beating um, Houston because my you beat Miami, you get the tiebreaker. So, yeah, I mean, my, Miami. I, I, Miami's only one game back in the loss column now. So, yep. And um, I think Miami. Oh, I guess I guess Brooklyn is too. Wow. Yep. So we're in a, we're in a race. This, this is it. So these last couple of games, and Miami plays Saturday, and then they don't play again until Tuesday. After that, so. And then you get Miami in a back to back. That's the big thing. You get Miami in a back to back, and I think they're going to be in Canada. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be in Canada, so they're going. You're going to get them on a back-to-back in Canada, and I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe rested some, rested some guys. So maybe they rest against Toronto and then play in the Garden, but like that matters. So 
Yeah, yeah I, that's who I want is huge. I think your projection is um it's <laughs> funny. Good bit, Hawkeye. Um I think your projection is spot on. I think two and one should be the floor. I think one and two is possible, but I, I don't think we'll do it. And I think three and zero oh is very possible. Um, this is a good basketball team, especially when Jalen Brunson's in the rotation. Um, and I think it's good that we have a few games off to just diffuse from this sort of little mini slump. Um, tensions are kind of high. We get to come back to New York and just rest for the weekend. Julius gets to see his family. I do think that's a big deal for him. Um, he talks about his kids a lot, his wife. I think just being back home with his family is good for him. And I guess the last question I'll pose to you is, do you think Brunson, do you think they view, regardless of Brunson's health, do you think they view it as, all right, we should win this game without him? Or do you think if he's, if he's healthy, they play? I think this was Brunson's load management game. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of just like get the win. So they might just play Brunson. Um, yeah, I think at this point they're kind of just okay, all hands on deck. We need Brunson to play. And maybe if they're secured by like the last couple of the games into the playoffs, even if they're like the sixth seed, fifth seed, sixth seed, if they're secured, then I think you see a couple more Brunson load management games. And then you see Randall maybe like the spot start just to get 82. Yeah, I think I think the eighty two is big to him. Like it also like it helps his it helps his like candidacy for NBA and stuff. He's gonna make it, but like it helps candidacy. And like I think that matters to him, and I think it should matter to a lot more people, because like playing all eighty two is not common anymore. I think only five guys have done it, and two of them are in the Knicks. So. Yeah, um, and I hope he gets it. To be honest, like you know this this has been a crappy little stretch here for Randall. Um, but, I mean, he literally – how many score against Minnesota? He scored 57? Uh, against Minnesota? Yeah. Yeah, he scored 57. I mean, it's it's really too bad that the Knicks didn't get that win because that was a special performance. And we've pretty much just forgotten about it as a fan base, honestly. <laughs> like, it's um, – I, I – Look, I, 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 I've said some things about Randall and about more, more, I've never said anything about him personally. I would never do that. Um, but about his place in this franchise and how going in a different direction could be for the best, but this has been a special season and he deserves to be an all NBA player. And I, I hope that tonight can be put behind him and the team and we can rebound against Houston um, because he deserves it. He, he deserves to have positive vibes headed into the playoffs. And then playoffs are a totally different animal, and we'll judge those on their own. But um, I just, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about what Julius has done for the Knicks this season. And playing 82 games in today's NBA is incredibly impressive. Yep. Also, uh, to end, we're going to use some words from our from Frederick Strickland supporter, uh, Mero from the Bodega Boys, oh, the ex-Bodega Boys. Um, 
relax. It's a couple games, bro. Stop being all doom and gloom about the Knicks. They are fine. That's a good way to end it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Knicks tape isn't wrong here. When I saw Randall, like, dude, I'm getting the fuck out of Randall's way. That's great. Like, when I saw Randall uh, quickly, I, um, dude, that's not, that's not me. Um, so kudos to kudos to quickly for standing up for the team and standing up for himself. But I'm I'm out of there. Um, all right, I think we're gonna call it a little bit short of two hours. Uh, so many comments again. Thank you guys. Uh, I think uh, me and Tyrese and Sam and Twin when we were here. You know, we really enjoy talking basketball together and we have good chemistry and we see the game pretty similarly, but it's nothing without everybody who tunes in and uh, and watches and asks questions. And we'd really appreciate you hitting the like or subscribe button. We're on that road to 1K. Um, appreciate you all for tuning in. And we all get a nice long weekend until we get Houston back in New York on Monday. So until then, everybody have a good night and uh, peace out.